Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. Today, we have a common guest on the podcast, who I'm hoping is going to be joining us a lot more over the next year and years to come, and that is Will Berry. Will, last time we chatted with you, you were a lieutenant here in Denver, uh, a paramedic. You're still a paramedic, but you've you've since had a big life change. Can you can you tell our listeners about the life change and where you're at now? Yeah, so big change. Uh, I now live in in North Carolina. Um, in short, all of my family, all of my wife's family, is here, and then I have a phenomenal opportunity to work with a long friend of mine. Um, we design and sell original rescue products, so we're doing that together. And I'm I'm working part time uh, for a county based. EMS service here in North Carolina. That's awesome. How's the how's the change to North Carolina been for you and the family? It's been really good. We're we're close to our family. We're our kids are close to grandparents. Um, culture is different than Colorado, but it's nothing unfamiliar to us. Some of it is uh, endearing and and fun to us, and some of it we miss Colorado a lot. So um, take take the good with the bad. How's that humidity out there? Yeah, it's oppressive. Um, we have a dehumidifier in our house and we drain <laughs> like two gallons a day out of it. <laughs> you know what the number one thing I recommend for nosebleeds that come to the emergency department is in Colorado? Humidity. Yeah. A humidifier. Yeah. <laughs> you have a dehumidifier. Yeah. It's like the, That's the funny. reverse doc holiday scenario where like he moved, he moved to Colorado to help his tuberculosis. It's like, yeah, you, you for your epistaxis, you should move to North Carolina. There, there you go. <laughs> well, Will, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast and, and, this is your idea. This was this episode came out of something that you wanted to do. So, so tell me what we're going to do today, and tell me why you wanted to record this episode. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the about physical exam. Um, I think that it's an incredibly important topic for pre-hospital providers. Um, honing the paramedic physical exam is a lost art, honestly, and it, it can help uh, help you appreciate so much nuance in patient pathology. Okay, so. Explain that a little more for me. So why is this topic so important for us? I'll tell you a story. So I was working in a system early in my paramedic career where I was a paramedic working with an EMT partner on a transporting ambulance. Um, our, the local fire department in that area also had paramedics. Um, so we were called to an altered mental status patient in an apartment. And the wife was a really poor historian. She said all she could really say was her husband wasn't right. Uh, the two paramedics on the on the fire truck, uh, they told me that the patient, they thought the patient had just taken too much of the of their pain medicine. He might have been just drug seeking. Um, and they they ultimately kind of apologized, like, "Hey, man, we're you know we're sorry to waste your time with this. We think this guy's drug seeking." 
Um, but but talking to this gentleman, it, it was obvious that he was not he was altered. Uh, he was not in his he did not have full capacity. Um, and so my ENT partner even offered to attend on the patient. And after we got the patient into the back of the ambulance and, and the paramedics for the fire department left and I told my partner, I was, I said, Hey, no, this is, this guy is sick. Uh, he had profound jaundice. He had ascites. He had, uh, Ictris sclera, uh, Copet Medusa, which was like all just 100% textbook profound hepatic encephalopathy and he was in renal or i'm sorry <laughs> he was in liver failure um and he bought himself an icu stay yeah i mean based on what you're describing he made a bit he may have been in hepatorenal failure too which is which is common when they get this sick with that liver failure and, and this happens so much in medicine we get one piece of information and we have what is called a premature closure. In other words, before gathering all of the information that you can possibly get, you anchor on that first piece of information you receive. And you make all of your assumptions off of that. This guy's just, he's on pain meds. He's taking too much of his wife thinks maybe he took an extra pain med. He's just on too much pain meds. And honestly, I'm guilty of this too in the ED. You know, it's it's so easy to only ask one or two questions related to your already preformed assumptions based on the, the nurse's triage or, or or what have you, and then not even do a physical exam because you already know what's going on. Whereas in contrast, an expert clinician will focus instead on his or her differential list. And they will explore all aspects of the historical and physical exam features of the disease processes on that list, all the disease processes on that list, until they've narrowed it down to what is actually most likely the cause of what's going on today. So how do we do this, Will? How do we rise to the level of that expert clinician and get past our lazy selves and do a better job in the field? Man, Ross, there's a lot there. Uh, getting past your lazy self—that—that's a personal endeavor that you're gonna have to—you're <laughs> gonna have to battle that one out um, in your own brain. But but first off, it takes thoughtful, you know, intentionally leaning into each patient uh, encounter as you have the opportunity to learn something and you have the opportunity to uncover something about this patient that they don't they've never been told before. And that's not to stroke your own ego, but the the thing about this is this is an art form that all it takes is your brain. You use your your sense of touch, your sight, your smell, maybe a stethoscope, and you can uncover things about these patients that no one else will take the time to uncover. You know, we our modern medical system, uh, Western, you know, developed medical system, we focus a lot on imaging and lab values. And, you know, physicians and clinicians did a lot for a long time with nothing but their hands and their brain and their eyes. And that's something that paramedics, we have that we don't have labs, we don't have x rays, we don't have CT scans. But we do have the ability to to assess a patient and be one-on-one with them. Man, that is, that is so true. So 
you may not have the labs and the the tests and the and the radiology that we have in the emergency department, but but what you do have, you you have access to that patient's home. You have access to that patient's living situation. You have access to to the scene exam, to to how much blood was there, to what was going on, to what the bystanders said who maybe aren't in the emergency department yet. And so there there is actually so much vital information on the scene that you saw. You have you have access to a physical exam that you saw before you initiated treatment, and then you saw a change in that physical exam after you initiated treatment. And all of that can be so important to us as clinicians in the emergency department to help us figure out what's going on and to prevent us from wasting time or prevent us from creating our own premature closures um, based on that information that you give us. For me, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, magic to this. For, For me, it was remaining familiar with all of those little physical exam features that your t- your paramedic textbook will bold, <laughs> you know, and then kind of put something in the margin about it. Cullen sign, Beck's triad, th- those kinds of things. Keeping those things in your mind so that when you do see a patient, you're like, hey, is this that thing I read about? And then in humility, when you drop the patient off, ask the doctor, like, hey, I, th- I think I appreciated this. What do you think? And I've learned a lot that way. Um, just thoughtfully asking the doctor that I dropped my patient off to, like, is this thing that I'm seeing this thing that I've always read about? <laughs> and um, I've gotten, I've learned a ton that way and gotten a lot of phenomenal feedback. I love that. You talked about, you know, paying attention to this detail, not because you're trying to pat your own ego, but because you're trying to learn more, do right by the patient and and notice things that, that maybe are going unnoticed. And I love that idea of approaching that with humility. And it, you know, it's something that's referred to as rookie smarts. So rookies tend to learn exponentially faster than experts do just because they approach it from, you know, less of an egotistical standpoint, like everybody expects them to be a rookie. So nobody expects them to know anything. So they don't have that pride that like, Oh, if I don't know something, my feelings are going to be hurt or whatever. And they're constantly trying to seek more information. And that's honestly something I feel like we should all carry. Even the more we learn, we should carry that humility of like, I still want to learn. I still want to know more. And I think you can become so much better at this. If you do, you just pay attention to detail and then you present that detail and be like, Hey, does this mean anything to you? Um, does, you know, am I way off base? Is this like something that doesn't mean anything or is this important? Or, you know, anytime you, you encounter something that you haven't seen before, I think it's, it's, it's amazing opportunity for you to grow as an expert clinician by doing something like that. Yeah, I um, I very much agree, and it reminded me of a couple stories. So part of my experience is I've been incredibly fortunate to go to Ethiopia um, six times now, and I basically function as a, a triage person for a clinic in some of the poorest communities in their capital city, Addis Ababa. And those getting to work with those physicians that are doing 
the bulk of the care for the patient going off not much more than physical exam has really opened my eyes to the art form of this. So one of my favorite stories about this, and, and so the first story I told about the the hepatic encephalopathy was, it was very meaningful to me because it was me putting together something that I had read about and then appreciating it in real life and making that connection. This story, one of the physicians that I, that I was traveling with called me over. He's like, hey, Will, bring your stethoscope. And so he had me auscultate this patient on their left chest. And he said, well, what do you hear? And it was nothing I'd ever heard before. I was like, it kind of sounds like a giant murmur. But I know that doesn't make any sense. He was like, actually, it does make sense. This patient has aortic stenosis. So you're hearing like their aortic valve not closing and you're hearing this turbulent blood flow all the way. He's like, now auscultate their neck and you can hear it all the way up into their neck. And I was like, that is a cool party trick. Like that, that is super cool. The wild thing was then I I go back and I work on the ambulance um, in Denver and my partner and I were working a deep night shift. So one in the morning we called to shortness of breath and the, you know, this guy meets us on his front porch and he's, you know, he's short of breath. He's not feeling good. And we responded non-emergency. So no lights and sirens. We had no additional first responders with us. And it's just the two of us and this guy. And at first, of course, we're like, oh, come on, dude. It's one in the morning. Like, what's going on? No, this guy was woken up from a dead sleep, in short, because his aortic valve gave out. My partner listened to this patient and was like, that's weird. So I put my, he was like, Will, take a listen. And I was like, this guy's got, this guy's got aortic stenosis. He was like, no way. Like, how do you know that? Sure enough, take the patient into the ER. The ER physician did the exact same thing. They ultrasound him. And, um, yeah, he had like aortic valve rupture. You, I don't know if I'm calling it the right thing, Ross, check my work. But, um, that was, that was like, I, I don't want to understate how rewarding that was as a paramedic to know that I was able to use my physical exam to the, to that level and that degree to help that person. Um, and then it, it was also just incredible to make that connection. Yeah. I think in EMS, we talk so much about listening and auscultating heart sounds as just like you said, a party trick, like, yeah, right. In the back of an ambulance, you know, I'm supposed to listen to heart sounds in the back of an ambulance, but that patient wasn't always in the back of your ambulance as you're driving down a road. And there are times where that actually does make a difference. And so in certain scenarios, one of the most common scenarios is syncope. So aortic stenosis and syncope makes a huge difference. That patient's prognosis is so much poorer if they have aortic stenosis causing that syncope than the vast majority of, of other benign syncope, or even, or even if they have aortic stenosis that's completely asymptomatic. If it causes syncope, their mortality drastically rises. And so recognizing that in the, in the pre-hospital setting can set us up for success in the emergency department and can really help that patient. And so there are times where actually auscultating heart sounds are super important and you should do it before before it com- becomes more difficult in the back of an ambulance like that. And so, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's more than just a party trick if you recognize the situations that make it important. 
to further compound that particular patient. He was hypotensive. He was short of breath. So, you know, you're going down all these pathways as a paramedic that you can treat, you can, you can impact directly, whether that's um, acute coronary syndrome or, you know, maybe someone that's fluid overloaded from CHF, though they wouldn't be hypotensive, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, this guy was sick and there's nothing that we could do in the back of an ambulance and potentially make him worse in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was hypotensive and your 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 first trigger might be like, well, let's try a fluid challenge. But if it but you're you're absolutely right. If if it's something like so you you said a, a failed aortic valve or, you know, that would be like aortic regurgitation or a ruptured aortic valve would actually be an aortic regurgitation, which would be the op- opposite of aortic stenosis. But in that situation, you know, that leads to acute heart failure, which is going to present with shortness of breath, with rails, with all of those signs of acute heart failure. And so recognizing that, you know, one of the biggest things that you want to look for with aortic stenosis is like a possible cause of syncope. Whereas one of the biggest things you want to look for with regards to mitral regurgitation or aortic regurgitation is actually going to be shortness of breath or acute heart failure. So these are, you know, these are situations where you have a compliant patient who allows you to do a physical exam. But why don't we talk a little bit more about the more difficult situation, the the challenging, less than cooperative patient, the one who's combative or say super emotional and distraught, or heck, even let's be honest, those stranger danger pediatric patients. Yeah, I mean you can still assess them. <laughs> you still have your, your sense of sight. Um, you can look at their skin. Is it red? Are they sweaty? What's their behavior like? What are their eyes doing? Are they darting back and forth? What are their pupils? Um, if you're able to palpate a radial pulse, what does it feel like? How fast is it? How strong is it? Um, what are their family members saying about them? What are their family members doing about them? What's the what's the situation like? Um, are they? I'm thinking of a story where this patient was profoundly combative, but then they were also bleeding. So, why are you bleeding? <laughs> what happened to you? You know, just because you're on meth doesn't mean you r- randomly start bleeding from a laceration in your head. So, how did you get that? Um, and that, that level of curiosity, I think is also incredibly important too. That's true. I, I often combine the, the history and physical exam together because one without the other is honestly kind of useless. Um, you know, you need that, that history or those historical, you know, even if the patient's not able to provide a history of themselves, the historical features from what you can gain on scene from people to help you interpret what you're seeing on your physical exam. And so the, both are are incredibly important and you know you need to determine is this patient combative or agitated or anxious because they have that I'm about to die anxiety. And your your physical exam is what clues you into is this anxiety from I have too much anxiety and I haven't taken my medications for that. Or is this anxiety from the, my body senses I'm about to die and it's giving me the fight or flight signal right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when I back up from what we're talking about, 
I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, people are relying on us to make decisions that can have serious impact on them. And when I say us, I mean pre-hospital providers. Um, we have less stuff than a doctor or a provider in the inpatient setting, but those people are still relying on us. And deferring that that level of exam or deferring that level of history taking until the emergency department can actually not be good for our patient. And so I would challenge every pre-hospital provider to still get hands-on with their patient, still get skin level with their patient, put a stethoscope on their patient. Um, Take the time to ask those questions. When in doubt, fall back on what you know, fall back on OP, QRST, and sample. But also challenge yourself to learn the relevant questions for each each chief complaint that you come across, whether it's syncope or, or dialysis patients or, or whatever it is, each one kind of has this own, its own little Rolodex of pertinent questions that are good to know. Oh man, fallback on OPQRST sample is just an amazing pearl and such good advice. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to uh, a history with a patient and I've been like, oh, I feel like I'll, I'll, I know all I need to know. And then I think I, I take a, a thoughtful pause and I go, have I honestly answered all of those OPQRST sample questions? And if there's a question I haven't answered, I ask it. And there's so many times where asking that simple question leads me down a completely different path than the path that I was already on. And so, yes, knowing the pertinent, you know, history to the differential that you're currently considering is important. But if you get to a point where you feel like you know it all, make sure you've answered all those questions because it can it can open so many more doors. And just like you said, the patients are relying on you, but not only are the patients relying on you, whether or not we like to admit it or not, us as doctors, we're relying on you too. And oftentimes we don't realize how much we're relying on you until it's too late and you've left the emergency department and we don't have the opportunity to ask that question anymore. But yes, the information you gather pre-hospitally makes a huge difference. The physical exam that you see when you first encounter that patient versus after your treatment on the way to the hospital and the patient I'm seeing now makes a huge difference in our ability to determine what's actually going on. And for those pre-hospital providers listening, leverage that relationship with your with your ED physician. And what I mean by that is Confirm your suspicions and thoughts with them. Um, uh, Another paramedic that I used to work with and I, we used to joke about, you know, well, how do I know I've seen this? Well, because I've seen it. (laughs) It's like paramedics are so quick to say, I know it was that because I I just know it was that. I'm like, well, did did you confirm that finding or that suspicion with patient follow up or the physician? And so what I, what I like to do is if I'm suspicious of a physical exam finding, I, I like to show it to the doctor when it's appropriate, maybe after the, the normal cadence of handoff, physical handoff, putting the patient on the hospital bed, giving my verbal handoff report, letting the doctor introduce themselves to the patient, maybe even letting the doctor do their initial history and physical exam. And when they're exiting that room, 
you know, sometimes that's a good time to say, hey, Doc, can I ask you a question? Like, I, I think I appreciated this on my exam. What do you think? And remain humble. Hopefully the doctor will too. And, it, you know, if you think you've found something that will truly impact the course of care, maybe you do integrate that finding into your handoff report. Or maybe you do um, during that doctor's physical exam, like when they get to the abdomen, you say, hey, doc, while you're at the abdomen, like I, I saw this or that, like, is it, am I off base or is this pertinent? And, and um, get some feedback on whatever that finding was that you appreciated. I love that. Thanks, Will, for coming on and help us highlight how important your pre-hospital physical exam is. And everything, honestly, everything that you do pre-hospitally, the information that you gather, the history, the physical exam, what the scene looked like, what the house looked like, how important all of that is. And to stay diligent, to not be lazy like I am as a physician, to ask those one extra questions that might lead you down a diff different differential path. Thanks for coming in and highlighting that. Is there anything else you want our listeners to take away from this? The only other thing that I would say is I don't care what you say about how many calls you've run or how many patients you've seen, you always have something to learn. So go ahead and proactively learn that thing before it humbles you and it jumps out and bites you. I love that. I have so much to learn as well as a physician. So challenge me. Come in, come into my emergency department and say, Doc, I heard this. What do you think about that? And if I haven't heard it, there's there's opportunity for me to learn as well and come back with an answer for you. So we all have so much more to learn and we all can be humble and continue with those rookie smarts that we talked about and learn more every single day. Thanks, Will, for coming on. I really appreciated it. This was an amazing topic. Yeah, thank you, Ross. And um, you know, man, we my family and I, we've Made some big changes, but it's great to be back talking about stuff that I love. Man, I look forward to more of these conversations moving forward. Thanks, me too. And, uh, are you recording? I, I am recording. All right, perfect. So. On